this is Angela Treat Lyon with IDareYouRadio.com, and today I've got somebody as my guest who I've been following for years. I really love her work, and I've watched her go from a little internet site to literally having major waves on the big sea of the internet. Her name is Allison Stanfield. She is at ArtBizCoach.com. It's A-R-T-B-I-Z. D-O-A-C-H dot com, and she teaches artists how to fish. Now, what's that got to do with art? Allison teaches artists how to do what it takes to get out there in the world and sell their work. Allison was a museum curator for years. She started consulting artists at the time. Allison worked for a time in the office of a senator, And she says that she learned from the best politicians around. And what she learned was how to form and nurture relationships to get results. And whether you're an artist or an energy practitioner or an author, you need to get results. And Allison's blog is great. If you sign up like I did for the RSS feed, you can get it almost every day. And I just get so inspired by it, especially today's when she was talking about how to write your blog for collectors, because she tells you how to write your blog in a way that isn't stuffy, stilted, or boring. And I just love that. So, Allison, I am so stoked to have you on my show today. Thank you so much for coming. I'm happy to be here, Angela. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Like I said, I've been following you for years, and you've really been an inspiration to me, and I really appreciate that. Thank you, Angela. You and all the other artists that read my blog and my newsletter and interact with me on Facebook and Twitter are inspirational to me. So you're the reason I do this stuff. Well, isn't it cool that we have social media now? (laughs) (laughs) it's cool and frustrating and time-consuming and all those things but we are so lucky to have it and I you know I keep pounding this into artists head how lucky they are because artists 15 20 years ago didn't have anything of the sort to communicate with people and it's all free so yeah we're really lucky even though we get frustrated with it from time to time well, it's understandable because so many people say complain about sitting, you know, by the screen all day long, but I read a lot of historical novels that bring real events to life in a fictional way and recently I was reading one about a group of people in New Orleans in the 1700s and they literally had to wait months before they got replies to their letters. Yeah. And I'm thinking that would drive me crazy. I know. <laughs> I know we can't go back. We can't go back. But but those people that are frustrated about sitting in front of their screens all day long shouldn't be sitting in front of their screens all day long. That's right. That's not what the computer's for. Yeah. (laughs) Well, now, tell me this, Allison. As a daring person, because you've done a lot of daring things in your life, what's one daring thing out of all of those things that you've done that was pivotal in getting you where you are today? Well, I have to answer that by starting with the fact that I guess I didn't pay attention to the title of your radio show when I signed (laughs) on, because if I had known that I had to have a daring adventures to be part of your show, I think I would have felt very unqualified to be one of your guests. Um, (laughs) But I sit here with my, I have a necklace that says fearless, 
And it's not because I'm fearless, but because I want to remind myself to be fearless, and I try all the time. And I think it's one of those things that I don't think about, that I just do, um, and not because I'm daring, but because that's what I do. And um, I've never really thought about it, but, but one thing that I did that was really daring and that people called stupid at the time, <laughs> um, probably not to my face, but I know they were thinking of it. I know my mom was one of them was that I um, quit my safe job, quit my safe job in the museum, um, worked in three museums in 10 years, first as a curator and then as an educator, and gave away half my belongings, sold my house, and moved to Colorado to start my business because I wanted to live in a place and around people that I wanted to be around. And looking back, for me, there was no option. My work was happy, but my life wasn't happy, and I just had gotten to the point where life is too short. You just got to live, and so there was no option. I didn't really even think about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But looking back on it, it was probably pretty daring. <laughs> well, isn't that interesting? I hear this probably 95% of the time from people. That that's what they choose for their daring thing is leaving that safety of where the work is happy, like you say, but the life wasn't. That's such a good way to say it. I love that. I also love it how you say, you know, it's not that you think that you're doing a daring thing or a courageous thing. You just do it because that's who you are and what you do. That's the essence of a daring person. Right. Well, I'm not going to jump out of an airplane because I don't do that. <laughs> but I, I, I'm, I have no desire to do that. I, I don't have desire to do life threatening things because I know those people. I live in, you know, I live around rock climbers and mountaineers and people that do crazy things. And I know that type of personality. And that's not my type of personality, but pushing myself is. I think that's the same kind of thing in a different genre, that's all. Because it gives us an adrenaline rush, for sure, to push ourselves. I think that, again, it's I've never felt of myself as a competitor. I'm always competing against myself, but it's not for necessarily fame and recognition because you're, those people who are listening to this aren't going to believe it, but I am an introvert. So it's just a challenge to myself that I want to overcome, and I, I think this is really important, and I, I see it in successful artists, too. They achieve, they create for themselves and they share it with the world because of the joy they get for themselves. And so it's not really like, ha-ha, I did better than him or her, or, but it's something within them that drives them, and it's not, it's not usually for many. It's not usually for a lot of glory. It's just to have a, that sense of accomplishment. Mm -hmm. And for the delight in it. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the fulfillment, the, the uh, yeah, I did it. I can really do it. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to me that you say you're an introvert because I can relate to that. I have a pretty out there personality when I'm in public, but when I'm here at home in my office or in my studio, I am a real hermit. I spend probably 80% of my time alone. Yeah. And I think that... Once again, we're so lucky to have the Internet and all the things at our fingertips that we have so that we can express ourselves. I mean, even introverts have things to say, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> have a and lot to though, say. 
Yeah, and even though you're an introvert, and this is why I'm constantly pushing artists to get out of the studio, you know, my book is called I'd Rather Be in the Studio, but in order to get your work out into the world, you have to get out of the studio from time to time. Yeah. And so even though you'd rather be in the studio, even though you you know, you can connect with people online, it's the connections in person that are you're going to remember when you're older that are going to be most meaningful to you. Those are where your memories come from. That's true. Let's do a little bit of a slight left turn here, and let me ask you kind of a question out of the blue. I promise not to put you on the spot. What is it that you do in order to stay sane using Twitter? A lot of people have said to me, and I've said it myself, oh, get a life, you know, what would, what would you want to go on Twitter? But I found for my own self that using Twitter has probably tripled my exposure on the Internet. And Facebook combined with Twitter is just really powerful. So how do you personally manage your time so that you don't go crazy on it, spend it all day, or just do it once a week? What do you do? First of all, I don't obsess about it. And I'm, I really am not one of those people, and I think this creates some discipline, though, to um, not to watch the screen all the time and think that you might miss something because that would just drive you crazy. Yeah. I think that – Tara Reed was one of your guests recently or yeah. too long ago, and Tara has a philosophy that she calls the Zen of Twitter, that you're only supposed to see on your screen what is there when you look. You're never supposed to scroll. You're never so, um, so you can only look at what's on your screen and respond to what's there, and then you get off. And wow, that's yeah. pretty austere. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? If you do that, it takes you like two minutes. It doesn't take you very long at all. I also subscribe to the theory that Twitter and Facebook and all social media, including blogging, is about making friends. And it's about having people trust you. And I'm a huge fan of the book Trust Agents by Chris Brogan and Julian Smith. And if I could be so bold as to summarize an entire book, but basically, social media is about, is about making friends and building that trust. And you can't make friends and build trust if you're just promoting yourself all the time. So I try to, and I don't count it, so I can't say that I do this, but their theory is that you should promote others 12 times as much as you promote yourself hmm. on social media. Yeah. And so I think one of the mistakes that artists make is they're just trying to promote Go to my blog, do this, buy this, this is new, see this. And that doesn't really make you any friends. In fact, that's annoying to people. That could lose you some friends. If you're, I mean, that's why, that's why advertising isn't effective anymore because there's so much out there. So if you go to Twitter with the mindset of, you know, how can I make a new friend today? Well, you can make a new friend by promoting someone else, you know, picking up their stream and, and retweeting it or what have you, then it's a lot more fun. It's a lot more fulfilling, and it's a challenge, too. Because you've got to wait through all that stuff and find something that's good, but if you set it up right, you can do it. The other thing that you really need with Twitter is you need a good platform to use with it because the Twitter interface online is not that great. So you need to use something like TweetDeck or Seismic in order to group the people that you really want to watch. Hmm, that's a good point, yeah. And that saves time, too, because you don't have to do all that extra stuff. 
Right, yeah. Like, you know the people whose tweets you want to see. And even if you miss a few of them, you're going to be fine. But if you group them and then, you know, put all the other noise to the side, yeah, that's all you have to look at. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you for that. That's good wisdom. Well, now tell me this. What is the single biggest mistake that you see artists making in their marketing? And I'm going to guess that you're going to say not following up on relationships, but what are you going to say? That's my old answer. But yeah, no, that's my new answer too. Um, <laughs> if I only get if I only get one answer, I used to say it was not following up. So that was just not following up with leads that people gave you or mm-hmm. um, opportunities that would come your way. But really, it's not staying in touch with the people who know you, who have purchased your art, because. The no like and trust factor. People that know you, like you, and trust you are going to be the easiest people to sell your art to. Let me ask you this. How do you stay in touch with somebody who's bought, for instance, a couple paintings or maybe a sculpture from you without seeming like you're begging for more sales? Oh, good heavens. Let me count thy ways. Um, okay, well, it depends on who the person is, but if you keep a good database, of your collectors, as you should, keep the details of that person. So you might pick up their birthday. And for these days, if their birthday is on Facebook, it's really easy to find their birthday. So you might send them a Valentine's card and say, I love my collectors. You can make up a reason to keep your name in front of them easily. You can send them happy Van Gogh's birthday cards. I love that idea. (laughs) What you're doing is just sending them, and then anything that reminds you of them. It may not have anything to do with art. Maybe they love to cook, and they love vegetarian cooking, and you came across the most amazing vegetarian recipe you know they'd love. You send them the recipe. So if you keep these details about them in your database, it makes it a lot easier to stay in touch with them. You also have to tweak yourself. So you have to put these things on your task list or on your calendar and make reminders to stay in touch with them. Well, I was going to say, that sounds like you're going out to parties and schmoozing. You know, that takes a lot of time. So it seems yeah, like you have to spend a couple of hours a day just to caress your database. I wouldn't say a couple hours a day. I would say maybe a week. I would say a week. But think about this, how much longer it would take you to find a new client. Well, that's a good thought, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, read any marketing book. It's much cheaper to keep your old clients than to get new ones. Yeah. Always, always. And people who so, bought pretty much love to buy again from you because they love your mm-hmm. work, right? Not only that, but if everyone knows, say, 150 people, they're also going to be the first people to recommend you, too. So that's another reason to stay in touch with you. But they're not going to recommend you if artist B has been much more attentive to them. Well, now, what big idea, has, if this applies, that you have implemented in your business has accelerated your business growth more than any other? I would say that probably they kind of go hand in hand, but first was to hire a coach, and the second is, to finish my book. I hired a coach to help me finish my book. I had a lot of content, and I wanted to put it in book form because I think books give you legitimacy. Hard 
copy books. Everyone has an ebook, and I think I had had three or four ebooks by that point. Um, but I wanted a, a hard copy book. Money was not in the equation. I didn't really care about making money from the book. The first year that I hired my coach to help me finish the book, and I also declared it the year of the giant leap, the big leap, 2007, the year of the big leap. I increased my income 40%. Whoa, that's a big leap. Yeah, that's a big leap. I had been in business already five and a half years. So it was a big leap year, and I think just focusing on that business and having the partner to help me stay focused was huge. Well, now, what exactly did that coach do for you? Did control the content, design the book, help you? Oh, gosh, no, 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 no. No, she was, she helped me stay on task with the book. Uh So coaches who are really trained in coaching are great at asking questions and drawing stuff out of you. And she was really good at that, um, at asking me, you know, how I was going to do this or, okay, this has happened, so, you know, maybe you should do this. And, and what it came down to is that at one point, you may know this, Angela, you've written quite a bit. I've, <laughs> I've written over 50 books. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah, I've written a little bit. <laughs> So anyway, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but it happens to me. It happened to me in my museum career, too, and and when I was writing my master's thesis that you've written something so many times that you don't want to look at it anymore. You know, it needs help, but you just get tired of it, and you can't figure out a different way to see it. Yeah. And my coach was really good about saying what you need to do is stay in touch with your book. Check in with it 15 minutes every day, and that's how it got written is 15 minutes a day. I didn't write it in 15 minutes a day. I just promised to spend time with it 15 minutes a day. Sometimes it went longer and sometimes but and sometimes just 15 minutes. But it was the consistent it was the it was her coaching that kept me um and even, you know, other things happened in your life. I think we bought a house and moved and I went through a bunch of allergy testing at the time. So I was going through a lot at the mm-hmm. time and just having her coach me through that was really helpful. So she kept you fresh and on track. Yeah, her name is Cynthia Morris. She's at OriginalImpulse.com, and she's actually local in the Denver metro area. I went to one of her classes, and just her her energy, I was just like, i got to work with this person. Mm. She was just so full of energy, and I could just tell she was getting things done, and, and I hired her soon after that. That's great. Well, it's funny that you should talk about a coach because I was just talking to somebody yesterday and they were telling me that they couldn't figure out why people had coaches because, you know, you get over a problem and that's it. You can just go on from there. And and I said to her, well, have you ever seen a football team where the coach came in and helped somebody with a sore knee and then left for the season? (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't happen that way. (laughs) And made $12 million now. <laughs> oh, that's great. So I'm really happy to hear you raving about the coach and how that helped you write your book because one of the things that I do is help people write their books. So I feel I feel verified in some fashion here. <laughs> yeah, you're definitely I'll validate you any time that you want because it's it's a huge help and you know, as artists and creative people we're so used to doing things ourselves. We just want to do everything ourselves and Working with someone else, and, and I've worked with other people throughout 
my book, the book designer, the indexer, the editors, the two editors, then other people for the promotions. And um, you just get better ideas when you work with someone else. You just feed off of each other. Boy, I so agree with you. That's a really big bone that I like to chew on. So many of the entrepreneurs that I work with, authors and energy practitioners and other artists, they all go, well, I need to do it myself. It's cheaper that way. <laughs> you're losing money. You're oh, yeah. losing ideas. You're losing time. My God, you know, just do the things that you're good at and get the other people in to do the things that you're not good at because they're good at it and create yourself a team. Yeah, definitely, definitely. If that was a huge aha moment for me when I started my business, when I hired the first person to help me, and then now there's four or so people helping me, not full-time by any stretch of the imagination, just here and there, but it's just so nice to have a team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. When I first started my radio show, I was doing all the editing and everything to do with it, and when I found somebody to do the editing, it was like, oh, my God, you just saved me six hours. Yeah. <laughs> well, this this is another issue that I have is that I'm a lot more technical than some of the people that I work with, and that's good, and it's really bad because I end up doing the tech part of it, which I shouldn't do, but <laughs> I just well, I, know I know it. what you mean. There, there's a fine line between getting somebody else to do something for you and then you having to go in and refine the details. You know, like, I'll I'll get my audios edited for ums and ahs and you knows and all those things, but I'm the one who actually has to go in there and decide which material stays and which material gets cut out. Oh, yeah. I do a podcast every week, and if I were to have it edited, I would be the one to do it. No one else is going to do that. But it is also because, well, I would know where to do it, but also it's really fast for me to do it. It would take me longer to tell someone where to go and do it. I know. <laughs> So you you weigh those things, and but it's a blessing too. It's a blessing that I learned HTML code in the '90s, and even though it's a curse too, because I do know it and I can change things really fast. Yeah. Um, it's I'm also I mean that's the way my business was built. It was all built online, not in person. So. Yeah. But there's the cool thing about having a VA do things for you and all the other things that they can do for you that you just don't want to do. Oh, I have one VA. I swear I turn a project over to her and she turns it into gold. Whoa. She does instructions for my classes. I teach online classes and she does these instructions and they're like seven page with all these screen captures and I'm like, oh my God, these are gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> and I wouldn't have I've ever done that. And it was, yeah. That and for an artist, we're expected somehow or other to do the art manage our books, do the administration, and market it. Or tell, you. <laughs> well, I tell people, you know, if you're a doctor or a dentist or, or a lawyer, you don't market your work. Get an agent. Get a gallery. Yeah. Well, but you still have to sell yourself to the agent or the gallery. You still have to market your work. But what I'm saying is share the load. Share the load. Get someone else to help with I mean, get someone else to lick the envelopes and put the stamps on and put your information in a database, but you are the ultimate face of your business, so you Mm -hmm. do have to learn to market your work. I'm always amazed at how artists go, well, I'm an artist, I'm not a marketer. Yeah. 
actually any doctor or dentist starting out does have to market themselves. I'm thinking of my dentist and the vet down the street. They have to get clients somehow. And I think our vet did a huge mailing, and I'm sure she didn't hire someone to do that. Well, it all comes down to relationships again, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah, it does. So if you had one tip you could give artists that would help them increase their success, what would it be? You know, my new soapbox is that I want artists to be sure that this is the life that they want. Because being a professional artist, so hard, it's so hard. Like you said, you have to do the books. If nothing else, you have to be able to read the books or else people will take advantage, can take advantage of you. You have to learn how to be the face of your business. And you have to get in the studio every day. You have to have the discipline to do it. And so there's going to be some things that you don't like to do. And you kind of, when you're in business for yourself, have to suck it up and do it. That's my first tip is just make sure that you want to make a living out of it because there's plenty of things that people are good at that they enjoy, but once they try to make a living out of it, they don't enjoy it so much anymore. I always say I'm a really, really good cook. But if I had to please people with my cooking every day, if I had to make up new recipes and stuff every day, I would go crazy. So I love cooking for myself, but I would never want to make a living out of it. And so make sure that. And then the other thing is to be consistent. You have to promote yourself consistently. You don't try something once and then write it off as a failure. You have to use a tool consistently. You have to mail things consistently and stay stay in touch with those collectors and build those relationships consistently. You don't try something once and forget about it. Mm, that's a good point. In view of that, what would you say to somebody who was in their 50s or 60s, and I see this all the time, which is why I ask, who have been out of touch with their collectors for a while and want to start up the engines again? What would you say to them is to get going and to get some momentum Gosh, there's so many things they can do, but what I have found with people who are, if I can say, use the word older, going back to their art careers, because it happens a lot. You, know, you have another career, and then you retire from it, or you retire voluntarily from it, and you try to start up your art career, and there's this sense of urgency, and that can really stumble you up. I get emails often from so-called older artists, and by that I mean anyone over 40, let's just say, who feel like their time is limited. Like, i got to do it now. What can I do? What's the fastest thing I can do? And that's just not how you can build an art career at all. Very few businesses that are built quickly can be sustainable, but art careers take a long time. So know that you're in it for the long haul, but the number one thing you can do is get back in touch with those people those, and build those relationships that have been such a strong part of your past. And you don't build relationships by trying to sell stuff to people right away. Build relationships by building trust and being friends with people. Oh, Allison, I want to go sell you stuff right now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I totally understand that. I'm in my 60s, so I understand that sense of urgency. It's like, oh, my God, you know, I could die today. And <laughs> so where would I be, you know? Yeah, anyone can. 
Well, thank you so much, Allison, for all of your wisdom and your intuition and your tips and everything. Thank you, and thanks, everyone, for listening. Well, I think that we should send people to your website. What do you say? Artbizblog.com. That's A-R-T-B-I-Z-B-L-O-G.com. It's a little more interactive than the website, and you can read about my book and interact with the, uh, the people who are leaving comments there as well. Well, you know, as a side note here, let's talk about your book for a second. Give us the title. It's called I'd Rather Be in the Studio, The Artist's No Excuse Guide to Self-Promotion. <laughs> I love that subtitle. i <laughs> <laughs> Because I know what it's like to make excuses and, and not get out there and market. <laughs> yeah. So if I were an artist looking at that book in the store, what would I be getting out of it? You want the book as a reference book. Some people read it cover to cover, and I just don't get that, but... Lots of people do that, um, but it's a reference book. Like if you want to know how to put together a newsletter and how not to make mistakes when you email the newsletter and follow can spam regulations, you open the chapter on newsletters. If you want you know, creative ideas for promoting your exhibit, you open that chapter. Um, if you want to make a plan, you open that chapter. So it's really a reference book. It's a how-to guide. It doesn't have a lot of illustrations. It doesn't have many illustrations at all, but it's written in what I call web text, lots of bullet points and short paragraphs. And it's really like I am straight to the point, like do this, don't do that. Yeah, that's exciting. (laughs) I wish that I'd had that 30 years ago. I've heard that a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I spent so many years being angry that nobody was buying anything that I think I repulsed everybody from buying anything. And if if I had information about how to build relationships and then how to do it with those specific how-tos, it would have been a whole different world. Yeah. Well, I, I want artists to not think about it as marketing or even as self-promotion, even though that's the name of my book, I want them to think about it as sharing. I am of the belief that that artwork isn't complete until you've shared it with someone, mm. that viewers always bring something to the artwork. This is from my museum background. Um, and, and they enrich it. Every person that views your work enriches it that much more and brings adds a new layer to it. Mm. And if your work is in the studio all the time and you're hoarding it and you're afraid to get it out in the world, you haven't lived your true calling. And so think of it as sharing. You know, just be so excited to get your work out into the world. And think of it that way rather than as marketing. I love that. That's beautiful. That gives it a whole new energy. I hope so. I really am sincere when I say that because you can tell when an artist is trying to sell and when they're trying to share, like when they just want to tell their story with, to someone and they want to hear that other person's story too. Yeah. It's a really beautiful thing. Well, you know, it's funny because I went through a period during the 60s where I was really confused about the value of art. And there were two things that changed my mind completely One was I was fortunate enough to stumble upon a three-day lecture with Joseph Campbell. Mm. And he was showing different slides of art every 30 seconds or so. 
And I came out of there thinking, well, if art isn't important, he's a mess. <laughs> because really, if, if you look at art and civilization, art is the only thing that remains when the civilization dies. Mm-hmm. So, hello, you know, <laughs> it has some importance. And then you look at the artwork that they put on board spaceships and put them out in, into space. You know, they don't put books on marketing. They don't put comic books. They don't put recipes. They put artwork as the prime method of communicating. Mm -hmm. That says to me that art has some kind of value. So I think it's up to us, like you say, is we need to share it. You know, having piles of painting in your studio and dust-covered sculptures sitting there doesn't do anybody any good. Right. Leaving stuff for your for your relatives to deal with is just <laughs> to mean, take to the flea mean. market. <laughs> uh, so mean, yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Well, I'm so glad to have actually had voice-to-voice contact with you. I've been waiting for this for a long time, and you've given us a lot of food to chew on here. And I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being my guest today. It's really been a pleasure speaking with you. I'm delighted. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So this is Angela Treat Lyon with IDRURadio.com reminding you to please don't take normal for one more second. Don't even put up with it. Be bodacious, audacious, bold, and as alive as you can possibly be. And know that you are supported by me, IDRURadio.com, and ArtBizBlog.com with Allison Stanfield. We are sitting here rooting for you waiting for you to share more of your artwork and your business and we'll see you on the next show.